Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. So I'm Nikki Dakota, your host, joined in the studio, live and in person, by the storyboard artist to all the big stars, the Coen brothers for 20 years and counting, and actually just a fabulous guy. We call him friend and Jay Todd. Jay Todd, welcome. You're saying all the right things. (laughs) Always lovely to be with your Nikki secret Dakota ring. (laughs) Also in the studio, live and in person today, it is the largest frame brain in the nation, yay, the world. He is a nitrate film archivist for the Library of Congress, our man at the Library of Congress. (laughs) It is my pleasure to welcome George Williman. George. Hello. Thanks for being here today. And I have to say, we celebrate on Film Multi Perfect, perfect films. Yes, we the do. The movie that we will be speaking about today, I agree, is perfect. But by the same token, I cannot recommend that anyone go see it. And on that note, gentlemen, what uh, brings us here together today? Well, today we are going to go around and take a gander at Francis Ford Coppola's 1979 epic. Vietnam War epic. Apocalypse Now. It is uh, one of the more disturbing movies that I have ever seen, although quite good. I will give you that. But it certainly has achieved to portray the horrors of war. I will give it A+. plus. It did it and how. I just think it's an incredible movie. I mean, I'm telling you, I've been at this for 23 years, and I started back in the 80s. We had a lot of things at our disposal through technology, but they didn't have this stuff in 79. I mean, everything was analog. This film was projected in 70 millimeter, but it was shot in 35. And it's absolutely, without a doubt, one of the most gorgeous films ever shot. And before we head too much further down that path, let's remind our listeners and all of us that these films are not chosen willy-nilly. Johnny-come-lately is a very stringent, strict set of rules, criteria that they must pass through. And gentlemen, those rules are... Hey, you know what? Apocalypse Now creates the world that it exists in. And it wholly sustains that world. Regardless of changes in society, Apocalypse Now retains its meaning and entertainment value. And Apocalypse Now will never be placed in any kind of preferential or numerical order. It is perfect within its own scale. Tempted to invoke rule number five, which follows six, except... Well, you know what we got to say about that? (laughs) (laughs) I did. I do agree it's perfect, but I, I just was so deeply disturbed by this film. But then again, I think that's just a testament to its effectiveness. Well, if I might say this, I have discovered after, you know, watching these six million films that I've seen, (laughs) that a good war film should make you uncomfortable. And it should, I mean, look back to like All Quiet on the Western Front, uh, Wooden Crosses, uh, Full Metal Jacket, 
uh, Apocalypse Now. They are, are films. They are not. Movies. They're not entertainment. And and in some aspects, people who find these films entertaining, I don't know if I want to be in the same room with them. <laughs> so I have to say that there was a not. I, I saw it years and years ago, and just w- wasn't capable of really understanding all the 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 subtext and the, and and the undertones of what was happening. But the the one image, which we'll get to later, stuck absolutely clearly in my brain. But now watching it as an adult, um, I have to say I started out with a knot in my stomach, and it was there the entire time. I have to say. Ever since I saw this on the screen, when it came out, it's gotten better. The more I see it, the more I appreciate it. And, you know, you, one of the things you want to consider when you're watching this film, I don't know how old you are, but if you're you know, of that era, there's a good chance you're going to remember that before this movie came out, American soldiers were never depicted in this fashion. There was always a, a, a cleanness, a, a squeaky... These guys are, are have been, you know, mashed down into the earth. I always think when you watch this movie, it's like when you, you lay breadcrumbs down, you're going into the forest, and you turn around, and something has ate those breadcrumbs, and it's got red eyes, and it's sitting in the forest. <laughs> because that's the way this movie is. You're in this quagmire, and that's what the Vietnam War was. And many, I remember when it came out, many Vietnam veterans were not happy the, the their portrayal that Mr. Coppola did. But I'll bet you a lot of Vietnam veterans are glad this movie's around because it reminds us of an era and a time that has, has gone away. And it, it's I think it's really well done because you can see things in this movie that the government wasn't allowing you to see when the war was going on. Even though we certainly had a lot more of those images on our televisions than any of the, right. quote, modern wars. But even though certainly there's a lot of twists and turns and folding back on itself as far as the plot goes, George Willeman, could you give us sort of an overview of the action? Yeah. The film uses as its taking off point a Joseph Conrad story, um, Heart of Darkness. Heart of Darkness. And that's sort of what it hangs everything upon. But the story basically concerns a colonel, Colonel Willard, played by Martin Sheen, who at the beginning of the film finds himself in Saigon again. (laughs) And he – it turns out that he is basically an army specialist in assassination. What do they call those, by the way? uh, (laughs) Army assassin. Okay. (laughs) Um, And he is brought in to a meeting – with a, a general and a couple of his assistants and a man who is never identified, but I believe who he's also told, you did not meet this person. So he's probably CIA or some agency like that. And they basically feed him lunch and tell him about this other colonel who is has gone up the river, deep into territory where he is not supposed to be, has gone totally off the rails, and has begun living this sort of life as a king and has had people executed, and they want Willard to go up and to terminate his command. We have a small clip here of sort of the setup of the right. tone of that meeting. Yeah, This is the general, played by G.D. Spradlin, who just has a little philosophical words about what has happened to Kurtz and why a good soldier has gone so bad. Because there's a conflict in every human heart between the rational and the irrational, between good and evil. And good does not always triumph. Sometimes the dark side overcomes what Lincoln called the better angels of our nature. Every man has got a breaking point. 
you and I have. Walt Kurtz has reached his. And very obviously, he has gone insane. G.D. Spradlin did a lot of movies, man. The gentleman did, talking. Yeah, he did a lot. He was in a lot of comedies. He always played the person who was uh, unflexible, uh, always the, the, the iron jaw. But what he does so effectively in this movie, and this is what separates the good filmmakers from the bad filmmakers, is that he establishes this movie, you know, with his insight. Uh, and all of a sudden... You're going to have a hard time figuring out who's a bad guy in this picture simply because of a minute that he used to do this. This is what you call effective screenwriting. Um, and Coppola, who is – by this time, he's done The Godfather. He is an established director, and that's what most producers and studios fear in Hollywood because that means they're not going to be able to be stopped. And Coppola was <laughs> certainly one of those characters, you know, but – Getting back to this is his raw genius when you see this man and nothing but a close up and he talks right to you and all of a sudden you have to make choices in this picture. He's telling you you have to make choices. Right. And the beauty of that, and this again comes from Coppola, is that as as the general speaks, they then cut to a close up of Willard listening. And the interesting thing about it is that unlike 99% of other films where the character listening would be looking slightly off camera. Willard begins to look up and he looks right out at you. Into as this the lens. Is being said. So suddenly, what this is about, it's about you and not about Kurt. And listen river. very carefully in this cut, you know, because sound designers are so effective in movies. People don't realize how they lend to your thinking. You're going to listen to hear a jet engine spooling up. Because they're very high decibels, you know, a jet engine. You lose your hearing very easy because they're such high decibels. But you can hear that in the background, but it never really starts. You don't hear the blades or anything because the blades were established in the beginning of the movie, the chopper as our implement for destruction in this movie, which was Vietnam. It was the helicopters, the chop, 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 chop of the blades. And you can hear all these little sound cues are starting to condition you for this long ride into hell with this one little piece of dialogue. Interesting enough, um, also about looking into the camera later, Coppola himself has a cameo on the beach when Willard, when they land and they're storming the beach. And Coppola is playing a, a television reporter, maybe. Right, or a documentary going, filmmaker. And don't look at the lens. Don't look at the camera. Don't look at the camera. Just go by like you're fighting. And yet... That's exactly what he asked him to do. Well, and as you mentioned, uh, you know, the deep ride into hell, that's exactly what this movie is going to be. Uh, as, as Willard is given this assignment and he does decide to take it, he is given a boat, a PBR boat and a small crew to take him up the river into this no man's land to confront Kurtz. And this becomes the main part of the movie is this little world on the boat with the chief, the cook, and this young young uh, uh, Afro American uh, played by uh, Lawrence Larry Fishburne, Fishburne who went by Larry at that we must right. we on. must add for those who have not seen this Colonel Kurtz is played by none other than Marlon Brando yep. who was notoriously paid very well on this picture and everybody knew about it and I think he worked like eight days or eight something days like and that. I don't I'm not sure on that I know he worked very small schedule you know, and everybody else was on this picture for grueling for months very months very long long schedule you'll notice in this movie 
uh, and we've talked about this quite a few other times, like on The Searchers, this is a real good movie to really watch screen direction because there's not too many times where they're moving left to right in this picture, but only to get you, you know, you'll you'll keep going down river, and it's like the river sticks, this river of hell, and they'll keep going right to left, solid right to left in this boat, and then they'll make a turn, and then everything in the movie changes. It gets better because they are in Kurtz's backyard. And then they all go right to left, I right love- to left, right. And then pretty soon, when you know they're there and they start firing all these things to try and stop them, he starts moving left to right, and you're there. This is how they can, how Coppola conditions you with these long panoramic pieces of real estate on the river. And the whole way the film is put together becomes like the Pilgrim's Progress. You know, you have Willard in the middle of this, and as they go farther and farther up the river, things become more and more disorienting. It starts out with them meeting the army helicopter group that is going to take them up into the part of the river that they can't normally get to. And this is where they meet the infamous Colonel (laughs) Kilgore, played wonderfully by Robert Duvall, probably one of the characters that Robert Duvall will be forever uh, linked with. He's only in the film for about 10 minutes. And but also one of the lines that's one of the most famous forever, yeah. lines in uh Say in it, Nikki. History. Come on. I love the smell of night pump in the morning. <laughs> with Kilgore, one of my favorite moments is actually right after that moment, after he says that, after he says, I love the smell of napalm, it smells like victory, he kind of ruminates for a minute and he looks at Willard and he goes, you know, someday this war's going to end. <laughs> Like, you know, someday this this off. party's going to be over and we're all going to go home. I hmm. love the aspect that he uh, he wants to know if he's where he's from. He says, Ohio. And they have a river there. And Toledo, Ohio. Yeah, you at know, the end. Uh, again, Ohio prevails in movies. You know? <laughs> You'll notice that this movie, it melts down into a zombie movie. In the beginning of the movie, you're watching foliage and explosions and some of the most incredible helicopter scenes. They'll never see anything like that ever again because everything is digitized now. But they're using real Hueys in this movie, and these scenarios that they portray are absolutely spectacular. So we accompany Willard up the river, the boat heading toward this completely unknown, this Kurtz, this world that surrounds him, and we begin to get inklings as we approach. And finally, we get there, and it is beyond anything we, we could get there, and But by that time, there have been several deaths from the crew on the boat. Another character has gone, has basically gone mad. Sam Bottoms, who plays Lance Johnson, who's kind of the cool young surfer dude, just completely goes off the beam and actually kind of goes over and joins Kurtz's men. When they have finally made it, the first thing that happens to Willard, Kurtz pretty much, Kurtz is is no fool, and he knows why Willard is there. So he immediately imprisons him. And hands him the head of his... The cook. Oh, so sad. Yeah. And gross. And another huge knot in my stomach. And, uh... (laughs) Well, one one of the contingencies in the paradigm on this is there's a scene where they raid this boat hunting, and it's completely out of control. And then they, they end up killing everybody on this boat. And it just has Willard civilians. ends up killing them. Yes. But, you know, he, oh, well. there's a Vietnamese woman on there that's almost dead, and the one guy's crying for a medic to help her. And the Martin Sheen character walks over to the captain, and, and he puts a bullet in her. And you know at that point, you've just crossed over into uh, – it just gets better. The movie gets better mm-hmm. because now he 
is Colonel Kurtz. And they're constantly talking about people that came before him. And they've all been immersed into this Kurtz character. It's like this huge sinkhole of humanity. They've sent multiple missions, basically, to kill him, and no one has ever come back. And, and you can see where the Martin Sheen character, before he became president, uh, is... <laughs> In the West Wing. Yeah. He is becoming, he's got this slow brainstem rot where he is becoming Colonel Kurt. And all the way up the river, he's been reading. He's been yeah. given this thick dossier of much decorated, perhaps one of the more brilliant yeah. generals ever. You don't see much of Brando in this show, but what they do is they create this tapestry of who he was and what he was. And then by the time they make that huge right turn where they're going down into the bowels of this, uh, this hell, mm-hmm. they disclose. That's where I am now. And that's what he says. And here I am. So you're ready to go in on this gauntlet. And you've seen these real trim pictures of, uh, of Brando, you know. And he's, now he's got a picture of him, and he's just a dark silhouette. So you're just dying to know what Brando looks like. But I remember back then they had given away. They showed that he was, you know, bald and overweight. Um, but in this movie, people who haven't seen this movie, it's, it's kind of a cool reveal of who this guy is. We're talking about the 1979 perfect movie Apocalypse Now, Francis Ford Coppola, this epic war adventure which had me angry by the time the movie was over. I I was just mad. I was hurt. I was disgusted. We had to keep her away from all farms because (laughs) she was going to stop anybody that was like even touching a cow, you know. It was really something um, completely effective in every way. And uh, I was lucky enough to get to watch it with uh, J. Todd. We screened it together. And you mentioned on several occasions some photography tricks, uh, stunts, uh, approaches that nobody does anymore. A ton of well, air-to-air you know, air photography. Lots of air-to-air air photography, which is incredibly dangerous, especially with helicopters. And people died on this film. Yeah, they have a lot of great stunt work. You're going to see a lot of people falling. And, and in the movie business, when a stunt man prepares to do or a stunt woman there's a lot of stunt women out there they call their fee a bump and if it's very very dangerous like falling off a helicopter from 50 feet you negotiate that bump and it'll be really high because there's a good chance they'll break their back or their spine or something they want to make sure they get a decent paycheck out of it you <laughs> to know? cover the medical bills that's right you well, know I... we're gonna throw you in this volcano it's full of fire well that bump's gonna cost a lot of money you know because mm-hmm. i might not come back well you're gonna see a lot of pretty fabulous stunts in this movie and these are by real people uh, nowadays we you know it's not as lethal as it used to be but um in this movie it's it, there's certainly a lot of a lot of real action going on in front of that camera and there's probably multiple cameras wouldn't you say george oh yeah definitely there as i mean speaking of the lethal aspects of this movie i mean the 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 shooting of this film in itself uh made a movie there is a movie about the shooting of this movie that was made by Francis Coppola's ex-wife, wife at the time, ex-wife after the film was done because she couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> the film just was disaster prone with the weather and just problems with financing, I'm sure. But Way the worst thing was budget. that poor Martin Sheen had a massive heart attack during the shooting of the movie and almost died. And uh, and that put the, the film way out of schedule while they waited for him to heal. I to, did to not finish know it. Yes. that. Wow, yeah. I wonder at which point. I wonder, wow, you talk about... Uh... It could be almost any point. I don't need, actually know what they were shooting at the time he had his heart attack, but I do remember it being in the papers when it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the film almost got were... taken away from him at, you know, at some point. Fortunately, I mean, fortunately for Coppola is I think he still had enough props, I guess you would say, because of Godfathers 1 and 2 that they enabled him to finish this monstrosity 
and get it out to the theaters in whatever damaged form it was in. In fact, it was kind of rushed. They didn't originally even have end credits. Is that right? No. Well, I think that actually was a deliberate uh, thing on his part because the first prince, the original prince of of Apocalypse – excuse me, Apocalypse Now – have no opening credits and no closing credits. You actually got a program when you went to see the movie that had all the credits in it. But those uh, are think, worth a ton of money yeah, these I days. Yeah, I think Coppola did not want to interrupt the flow of the movie or to affect the end, you know, the sort of shocking end of the film with a bunch of credits. So they just, you go in, sit down, the movie would start, play, it would end, and you'd get up and go, and you'd be distraught for the rest of the afternoon. No kidding. And it's some, it's, what, it's it's over two hours long. Mm-hmm. Which is just very much too long. <laughs> Although, I mean, I agree with you. I, I mean, I mean, it's because of my reaction to it that that I find this. I wouldn't recommend anyone see it, and absolutely no children. Although I'm certain uh, no one would think it was appropriate. But it 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 has a lingeringly disarming level of disturbance. It's. I'm afraid I would have to disagree with you on that. I'm not on the children thing. I would recommend it to almost everyone. I would I would warn them that it is a vicious film, that there is lots of language, there is lots of violence, and that there are some animals slaughtered. Yes. But um, of the, like I said, of the really important anti-war films, I think it is one that really brings it home, much like All Quiet did in 1930 and Wooden Crosses did in 1932 and then like Full Metal Jacket later on in the 80s. But if you don't like that, we can talk about it out in the parking lot afterwards. <laughs> I think if you don't go see this movie, you're chicken. That's what you uh, are. Ooh, if you're interested ooh. in movies and you're interested in great filmmakers and you want to see a picture and you're not as scared to sit through two hours of a motion picture, you know, because ooh, it's disturbing. It is. It is <laughs> and disturbing. And I, I think you need to see this movie because this is a, truly a, a masterpiece of cinema. Right. You know, not, is, and, if Francis Ford Coppola died tomorrow, he can go to his grave saying, I made a great movie. Of course, he made The Godfather and everything. But this is a piece of work, man. And it's just beautiful. Victorio Storaro, is that how you pronounce his name, George? The cinematographer. <laughs> it's absolutely just lusciously photographed. I know they waited till like tragic hour to shoot all these scenes because it is just so gorgeous. And they have Walter Murch cutting it in the editing. This the, the cross cutting action at the end, no pun intended, with the cattle being slaughtered. Uh-huh, cross um, cut. Yeah, it's absolutely extraordinary. You know, it's just it's just a work of art. You got to sit down, get yourself conditioned, say to yourself, this is going to be a great movie, and I don't think you're going to be disappointed. You know. Well, and as we were talking earlier before before the show, the sound in this film is quite extraordinary and was quite groundbreaking. It is actually the first movie to be uh, released in Dolby Surround. And it's a perfect way to introduce this process of having the sound of the helicopters just envelop you so you cannot escape it and the sounds of war surrounding you. Yeah, when they were editing the famous Ride of the Valkyries soundtrack, that section contains more than 112 separate tracks of sound. There are tracks just for, like, the crickets, which you can't hear, but they're there. Little sounds that are stuck in the background, and every single sound had its own track, and then they were all mixed down into the 5.1 Dolby surround. And you think about that when you see all those magnificent helicopters, that image, and they're always going right to left, and they're coming into the lens, and they're just, they're just like insects, you know, coming to swarm. Nothing spells out the error better than that. You know, there's one last guy you got to mention on here, and that's Dean Tavalaris, who is a production designer. 
you know, he did, he worked with Copa a lot. This guy is a master. You know, when you're looking at this film, you're looking at masterful direction, masterful acting, masterful cinematography, masterful production design. Hardly ever does a, a movie give you all of that in one big dose, you know. It's just very rare, but you get it all in this movie. Sort of like an undiluted, perfect dose These of are guys horror. who are at the top of their film, man. They're top of their field on this film, these guys. And the, not to say, you know, George Nelson, the set decorations. These are people that I, when I work in the business, I look at them like, you guys are amazing, you know. Thelma Shoemaker, uh, Schumacher, she's God, you know. That woman can edit, you know. You never see these guys. Now, as the movie kind of fades into time, their name is still stuck on that picture. And possibly 20, 30 years from now, people are going to still be watching this movie. Remind me of how this movie was received at the time. Did it do well at the box office? I think it did all right. I doubt that it actually recouped its costs because it was so expensive at the time. Uh, I think as between you and us, it was the same kind of thing. People were horrified by it. Other people were amazed by it because of what it was. It was such a big, gory uh, mm. film looking at, at the Vietnam War in a way that it had never really been looked at. It has grown in stature since then, uh, so much so that in the year 2001, Francis Coppola took the film and re-edited it and made what is called Apocalypse Now Redo. The major difference with it is there was a long sequence that he actually shot with French plantation owners in Vietnam because what a lot of people forget is that the Vietnam War had a lot to do with France and their sort of their stake in Vietnam. And he left this out of the original film, added it in the 2001 version to kind of show what was happening to these French people who, although they were, you know, they were outsiders, they had made their home here, and it was being taken away. Where did he cut it? Just for sheer length? Or? Um, I don't know if it was sheer length or it was just a change in his own inner, his inner thoughts about the movies. Because you look at Francis Coppola in 1979, here's this young guy with, you know, two big movies under his belt, and he's all piss and vinegar, and he's ready to go. And then you see Francis Coppola in 2001, where his career has kind of, you know, lingered and langered, and it's kind of... He's older now, he's been a father, he's had some tragedies in his life, you know, and now he's he looks at it and it's definitely a film about the Vietnam War by an older, more experienced man. Yeah, but you can't cross the same stream twice. No, yeah. you can't. No. You, know, you just can't So do it's it, interesting, you know? but he just recut the existing and, and did include that. So do you recommend people see that I version? recommend you see it, but I, I think overall in the in the, the fallout of things, the original version will Watch be Watch it in its proper context, that, uh, which is, is the original. Yeah, the know? original cut. You're listening to Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. We are talking about the perfect movie, 1979's Apocalypse Now. And gentlemen, this um, was somewhat bittersweet. It was horrific, but certainly won acclaim. Well, as a matter of fact, Nikki, the Oscar for this picture went to... It went to Victorio Storaro for cinematography and Walter Merchant Company for sound. Yes. Oh. And then... Uh, Best six... actor in a supporting role. These were nominations Robert Duvall, Best Art Direction. Coppola got nominated for Director, Best Editing, Best Picture, and Best Screenplay. 
It got nominated too for best writing, uh, John Wyless. Which it must have been the adaptation from the the, the novel, The uh, mm-hmm. Heart of Darkness. Yep. So yeah, it, it got a few awards. Yeah. Here. <laughs> Made a little sweep there. So certainly mm-hmm. it was recognized, whether it's disturbing or not, which it certainly is. It is um, disturbing. It's, it's supposed it's to be very disturbing. Well done. So as far as the rules are concerned, it absolutely created that world instantly. There you are. Yep. And it certainly sustains that world. I it think that does. people mm-hmm. will find this uh, relevant and uh, worthwhile. Probably forever, and it's a good sort of time capsule snapshot of that horrible time. A lot of people equate Jim Morrison to this movie because of all the soundtrack stuff. Yeah, no doubt. We've been talking about Apocalypse Now, and you've been listening to Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. We always love to hear from you. Do you agree with this? Do you have a perfect movie that you would like to suggest? You can write to the film guys. It's filmguys at perfectmovie.net. Again, that's filmguys at perfectmovie.net. You can find archived episodes of this show at wyso.org, at npr.org, or go to the source, perfectmovie.net. Gentlemen, as we say goodbye, are we going to tip the hand for what's coming down the pike? No. (laughs) Sit tight. Tune in next time. Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. Gentlemen, thank you. Always our pleasure. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.